The reading today is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God but if we love one another, God is in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his, of his spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no love, no fear in love, but Perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates his brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's pray. Holy Trinity, as we lay before us scripture, as scripture is opened up, would your Holy Spirit teach us more of your great love. May we be transformed this day, maybe just in a little change of direction, but maybe in a way that is significant for the rest of our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Well, the greatest blessing for me over the last 10 years that I've been in ministry uh, here at St. Peter's is to be working in a team with others. We range in age uh, between the youngest and the oldest, about over 40 years. We support each other. We care for each other. We share our joys and our tears, and we pray with each other and pray for each other. The bottom line is that we love each other. And the bolder among us actually 
use the word love, perhaps in our speech, probably more easily on text messages than electronically love at the end of a message. But the more we use that word, we claim it back from the world. The word love needs to be claimed back. When I was working full-time um, before coming to St. Peter's, it was an itinerant, itinerant sort of activity. Yvonne and I found most of our experience of church was in small fellowships. We moved around, we gathered together with what other Christians were around, and in that, in that fellowship we experienced uh, common things that we, we could support each other in, things which were different. We shared our lives together. We came to love each other. Christian families with young children, the school gate and other places form friendships that go on for life. And I, I delight in the fact that Women's Fellowship uh, you know, was formed in those bonds over half a century ago. Isn't that wonderful? There's a bond of love there. So in our sermon series, we are looking at things we know about God, things we say we believe about him, but which we show little evidence of in our lives. Last week, I hope you recall that we were challenged about whether we really believe God can transform those negative things in our lives that persist. We've also considered whether we really believe that we can be forgiven. So today, our theme is God's love. And the question is, do we really believe that God loves us? Among us now is that are there those who say, well, he, I, I can see that he loves everybody else but he can't love me. I'm too bad. I'm too unlovable. At a hospice bedside, I once prayed for someone who could not accept God's loving forgiveness for him. And in a priestly role, which any one of us can take on, that's what it is to be in Christ, that we can take on a priestly role, I declared that person forgiven in Jesus' name. And I have very good cause to believe that he died in peace in the loving arms of God. So my proposition is that God loves us, but deep down, do we really believe that? And when I started to think about this talk, I assumed I'd have to be coming up with stories, a bit like the one I've just account recounted, and that uh, just putting scripture out there would not be enough. Well, I was taken to task on that. How that was my view when I commented about... We had a talk on safeguarding, a couple of talks at 9 and 10.30, and I questioned, are all those scriptures really going to help? Surely people need that assurance that, they, that God really loves them and protects them, that God does uh, want people to be kept safe, not abused, not harmed. So I was questioning God's word, and afterwards I was told that Many church members, a good handful of church members, were really helped by the fact that they'd heard the promises of God. So I was uh, chastened by that. So today I am trusting God for his word. I've gone to John's first epistle, part of which has been read. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will touch our lives, that he will show us what that love is, that to be so, well, it's just core to our being as Christians. To, that we really may know that it is true in our personal circumstance. So my hope is that we don't leave it till our deathbeds to accept God's love for us. 
And as we do this, we will discover that love is not just a physical experience or an emotion or heart warming, but it's also obedience, an act of the will, commitment, loyalty, trust. So we start with the great truth of our faith that God is love. He loves all that he has created, especially humankind made in his image. And this love can develop its greatest fruitfulness in those who believe in Jesus Christ and acknowledge him as Lord. So it's in the New Testament, not surprisingly, that we learn most about God's love. The teaching comes from what Jesus and his spirit in words and actions did. And we look at those accounts. Of course, John's Gospel, chapters 14 to 17, we learn so much about the relationship within the Trinity. Think of all the times Jesus says, I, I am in the Father, the Father's in me. All that, I, all that you know is what has been revealed to me by the Father. All of that, the wonderful exposition of the Trinity and the love within the Godhead. Isn't it lovely to think that that is what God, God is? God is love. And he has to be a trinity. He has to be in love with other people. Uh, that's how it starts. We've heard lots about God's relationship with us from Natasha last week when we celebrated Pentecost. This is a relationship, of course, from the trinity out to us. What a gift, what a grace is that, that God, the trinity, who knew a totality of love within himself, would want to turn outwards to us, his creation. And of course, it's by the indwelling of his Holy Spirit that we know his love. Do listen to Natasha's talk. It's online. Uh, Libby put out an email just a few days ago with a link to that talk. It's really worth listening to. This relationship is so close that, of course, in John 15, we read that metaphor from Jesus that that love is like a vine and its branches. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches, totally integrated. He's the true vine. The relationship is that intimate. John further expands Jesus' teaching about this relation in the first epistle. I'm, I'm assuming that John of the epistles and John of the gospel is the same person. Some people debate that, but uh, it's funny how they both speak so much about love. And it's from here that I chose today's reading. From the tail end of chapter 2 to the end of chapter 4 of 1 John, we find how the Trinity, the believer, and the world are three entities that in this current time of the Spirit, the season of the Spirit, have to jostle for position. We learn from these scriptures how we can know and experience God's love. So let's open them up a bit, beginning with God, then looking at ourselves who have the option of trusting God or siding with the world. So I won't have much time to talk about the negative. And I have a bias not to talk about the negative. I'll talk about the good news. I hope that I will provide a context for the reading, because I won't just be casting back to the, the words of the reading. I'll ask you to go and have a look, better look, up, look at that afterwards, uh, having sort of taken some context from, from this talk. So let's begin with God. God is love, chapter 4 and verses 8 and 16. Love comes from him, chapter 4 and verse 7. Love emanates from God. He took the initiative. He first loved us, chapter 4, verse 19. 
And that great love has been lavished on us, lavished on us. Chapter 3, verse 1. This is what it says about, says, but how do we know it? In a sense, you know, it's my conundrum of how does the word of God work? Well, first we know it inward, inwardly. Of believers, John says, God lives in them and they in God. Chapter 4 and verse 15, he has given us his spirit. Chapter, uh, verse 13 of that chapter. So the believer experiences the Holy Spirit within themselves. If that's not our experience, then we need to accept Jesus as Lord. The two go hand in hand, accepting Jesus as Lord and the gift of the Spirit comes. It's a step of faith to accept he is Lord in our lives. We have to take that step of faith. So that's an internal experience. But second, we know it objectively, historically, if you like, that God loves us in that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Chapter 4 and verse 10. And that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Chapter 3 and verse 16. Both father and son acted together on our behalf. It's a joint effort. And we know that Jesus' death is effective because in him is no sin, we read in chapter 3 and verse 5. He is righteous. Chapter 2 and verse 29. And pure. Those are the descriptions that um, describe him. And scripture tells us that the reason that God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Now, this gets a bit closer to hand, doesn't it? Because that's what we experience all around us in our own lives and uh, uh, the pressure from outside. We're assured that the Holy Spirit, who is in the believer, though, is greater than the one who is in the world. So once you start getting down to the nitty-gritty of where we are on earth, we know that the Holy Spirit is greater than all that can be thrown, about, uh, thrown at us. So there's no doubt in Scripture that God loves us. But I, for one, grew up knowing the gospel accounts, knowing about Jesus' ministry, knowing his passion, the testing, running up to Good Friday, the death by torture. I believed he rose again from the dead, a miracle, and in his ascension. But I didn't know his love in my life. I came to my early 20s, brought up in a church, but failing to understand that completely logical, rational consequence of my beliefs, which was that a man tortured to death died for me and rose again, and therefore this person who died for me is alive. And the logical, rational consequence, and I've said this before from this place, was that I had to go after him. I had to find him. Where is this person who's died for me? I didn't understand what he'd achieved for me by his death, but if someone had died for me for whatever reason, surely I had to go and find him. He needed my total allegiance and loyalty. I needed to be totally available to him. Allegiance, loyalty, availability, these are all elements of love, all aspects that if we look at God, we see in God, don't we? So that's God, but now we need to look at ourselves. We've looked at God's loving initiative, but now we must look at our personal situation and the world. The world's always there and around us. And where we fit into that dynamic of love. We can see it in the Trinity, but how do we fit in? Last week, Natasha had a a lovely metaphor for that relationship with the Holy Spirit. A dance of love. He called it a dance. And it is a dance of love. 
But sadly, the world is vying to exclude God and be our partner in the dance. That's what's going on. The world is trying to be our partner, not God, and pushing away God. And of course, anybody who's watched uh, any dancing on, you know, Strictly or whatever knows there's one other partner. You can't have more than one partner. That's not not the rules of the game, is it? How it works? There can only be one other partner in that dance. So see see the world's pressure circling around as one wanting to take over. Believers, of course, are related to God. John says they're children of God in chapter three of one John. And in Scripture, of course, we know that name and identity are two sides of the coin, so close. The names are so significant. But as believers, on what basis are we children of God? Again, you know, questioning this thing of Scripture, can we take it at face value? Well, John gives two elements key to proving that we are children of God. And the first is that we are alive. As God is alive forever, so are we. We have eternal life. We know we are alive in the spirit. Those who have believed and trusted in God, we know it. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. So we need that assurance of love in our lives. In all John's teaching, inspired, of course, by the Holy Spirit, life and love are intrinsically, again, sort of so close together. So often it jumps between life and love. Who, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Now this can only be true. We can only live in God and God in them if somehow we're compatible with God. Can that be true? John picked out two of those virtues that uh, Jesus has, that God has. Righteousness and pity. Well, do we match up Really? We know in our earthly experience that we are a long way from fully righteous and fully pure. But John says in chapter 3, you know that Jesus appeared so that he might take away our sins and in, in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. That's scripture. But I'm a sinner. So that statement seems to condemn me. That statement seems to, uh, to condemn all of us. But we have to go back. Just with preceding verses actually begin to show us how this is possible. We know that when Christ appears, second coming, we shall be like him, i.e., that's in a resurrection body without sin. For we shall see him as he is, human but sinless. All, we ha all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. And remember the reason Jesus came to us, he appeared so that he might take away our sins. So here's the thorny issue that needs to be unpacked. We live in this world knowing that Christ, what Christ has done for us, for all time, indeed beyond time. And the hope of the resurrection is the guarantee and certainty of a current heavenly reality. Though for now, within time and our sinful bodies, we can't see this reality. I'll say it again. Hope, is, hope in, of the resurrection is the guarantee and certainty of a current heavenly reality. If we go to Hebrews chapter 6, you can read about the certainty of God's promises. Verse 19 of that chapter says, We have this hope 
as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Somehow we need to grasp that being in Christ, we are free from sin. We are pure. We are righteousness. Though we are wrapped in sinful bodies which continue to sin. I, well, we need some sort of way of which we can hold this outside time, heavenly dimension of reality in God's, God's view. I mean, God sees it all. He knows he's won us for himself. We are his children. We are permanently adopted. Some animals, I understand, only see in black and white. That's all they experience. But they live in a beautifully colorful world, but they never see it. So the, just sort of grasp a metaphor that will help you see how you too, in a sense, our perceived reality can be different from a bigger reality. And that's where God, of course, is uh, looking in on things. And we need to trust in him. That is why God is mystery and beyond us. I mean, that's the nature of God, isn't it? If you think about uh, Paul's great treatise on love in 1 Corinthians 13, in the King James Version, Paul describes this as seeing through a glass darkly. Then we will see Jesus face to face. So the, the writers of the New Testament are recognizing this conundrum. This is where faith becomes our salvation. It's written, it's when we believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and accept that our sin is already forgiven and that in him we are sin, sinless. And going back to 1 John in chapter 3 and verse 9, no one is born of God, sorry, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Believers are born again. And if that's us, we already live in him and he in us. No questions. God loves us that much. And what does he require of us? Matthew 22. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. And just in 1 John, our reading, that's there as well. So much of what, where I've sort of talked around, you'll find it in the reading that we had. So do look back uh, to that reading in uh, 1 John 4, 7 to 21. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you affirm in us that we, know, that we are born again of Christ, that we are new and restored, forgiven, saved, that there's no doubt about it. And Lord, for any one of us who does not have that assurance, particularly recognized uh, in our reading as fear, that you'd help us to bend the knee before the Lord Jesus Christ and to accept in faith that you are Lord, that you are sovereign. Come Holy Spirit and indwell us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.